You are listening to Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast with Diogo Custodio. If this is your first time listening, then thanks so much for coming. Get ready and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast. My name is Diogo. Today with me, I have Philip Hatzis, one of our coaches, and he has a very special guest. Philip, welcome. Diogo, how are you? I'm very good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Not too bad. I've been, uh, I'm looking forward to being inspired by uh, our next, uh, next guest. And uh, who is our next guest, Philip? So as always, I'll, uh, I'll refrain from giving too much information on who he is um, until we get there. But um, our next guest, he's, uh, he's someone who has taken on, I guess, what's described as the toughest foot race on earth, uh, Marathon de Sable. And he'll go into a bit of detail about what that entails. But very loosely, it's a... Uh, it's a it's a long run in the desert over multiple days, and um, and I think it's it's really interesting to to hear how he talks around uh, this this event because he's he's not an elite runner, you know, he's not coming from a super endurance background, and then I'm going to go there and smash out a you know big you know the most challenging or toughest foot race um, on on earth. You know, he, he's someone who comes from a much more humble running background. Uh, enjoyed being active and and then actually performed really well in in marathon de sable um he was coached by our coach trevor who also joins the call as well um to give an insight into how um i guess that coach athlete relationship works over long distance racing and, and racing where there isn't really a blueprint to doing a sprint distance or olympic distance triathlon you need to be this fit you need to do these times it's it's much more about being able to adapt on the fly so yeah i'm really excited to to have this chat with him because I think there's a lot there which um, anybody listening can relate to. You know, we're not all starting out as, um, you know, high performance academy, regional academy performance mindset uh, from from a young age. You know, some of us have been active and do sport, but um, I think the, the, the story that we'll hear will probably start talking around what you can do to take an ordinary, I guess, normal approach to endurance sports and apply yourself and then actually achieve some amazing things so what do you think uh we can expect uh from this conversation from him what people can you think people will learn out of this conversation um i think i think i'm, I'm really interested to see because uh, i guess he works as a as a teacher as well so he's he's very comfortable and used to working, leading and inspiring young people um, to go into careers and you know, next steps and stages in their life. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to see some really interesting conversations around, around that, you know, around what you know, and how can someone be inspiring. And I, I, we've had this conversation, not just on podcasts, but definitely um, at other times as well, how I genuinely believe that if you're someone who's doing something which is a little bit out of the ordinary, a little bit weird in the the normal everyday life kind of weird, whereas when you get a bit intoxicated into endurance sports, doing a marathon is sort of, well, that's what people do. And you, you can get kind of this false sense of what normal really is. And um, I think it's useful to sometimes check yourself and remind yourself that actually uh, what most of us do even to rock up and do a sprint distance triathlon is actually quite abnormal not many people can just rock up and say i'm going to go and do that it takes a lot of drive and i think that we've got to all recognize that we're ambassadors to other people and we can inspire other people and i think um looking at this this guest coming up uh, he will he'll talk to us around uh, around 
that because that's very much the life that he's always led being a teacher uh, and I'm really intrigued to see how that impacts his decisions and how he does things um, and I think the other side of it as well is looking into well how do you do the training for something which is labeled so unbelievably tough um, in, a, in, a, in the UK in a place which isn't a desert uh, the temperatures are nowhere near that it's very hard to replicate that kind of um, environment and that kind of training as well. So I think that there'll be some really interesting conversations around, well, how do you prepare yourself for an event which is totally outside of what your normal environment is? And I think that sort of information and how we we can look at sort of certain races and specificity of events, um, how we can apply them to any of the events that we do and actually do a better job of racing and the other ones as well, I think will be, will be really interesting. And as I said, this isn't, sort of a high performance uh, in, you know, establishment or environment where we're looking at, we're going to do heat chamber training and we're going to go and do this. And we've got, you know, infinite uh, budget um, to go and spend on this, which I know you see when you look at some of the, the better uh, athletes. Um, you know, th- this is just someone like you and me who you know really passionate about doing endurance sports. And so you know, how, how do we be able to excel in, in these sort of environments, which is just not like home? Obviously, you've been based in Portugal, warm, nice weather uh, <laughs> you're one step closer so maybe you have an advantage um, but for, for most of us who live in the UK or kind of not lucky enough to have good warm weather all the time or more guaranteed weather it's, uh, it's a really interesting uh, proposition it looks very exciting and I'm just willing to, to hear this conversation so shall we start let's go for it see you in a minute nice one so good Good afternoon, um, Simon and Trevor. I've got uh, joining me today in the Believe, Strive, Achieve Endurance podcast. I have uh, Simon, who is a coach athlete, and we'll come on to the phrase uh, athlete a little bit, who competed recently in the Marathon de de Sable, which we will go into more detail about it was, but to keep it nice and short uh, and uh, not steal any of the limelight, it's a very long run in the desert uh, over multiple days and uh, in in quoting Simon's comments, it was brutal and beautiful. <laughs> so uh, I'm looking forward to finding out a little bit more about that and passing on some information and, and top tips from himself. And I'm also joined by Trevor, Coach Trevor, who was coaching, uh, has been coaching Simon for about two years or so uh, in the lead up into Marathon de Sable and his, himself, uh, an experienced ultra uh, distance runner as well. So some great level of experience here and some insights, which I'm looking forward to, to getting into into detail for them but Simon yourself you know you you finished surprisingly well I think using your your phrase as well you came in your top top 50 yeah overall eighth British person uh, again uh, out of all the athletes um and 16th in your category so you were kind of absolutely uh flying through the field and got a start on the long day on the elite mm. uh, elite start which uh, I guess would have been quite daunting as well um let's just start a little bit and just just tell us how you got into running um well i i've you know i've always been a runner and uh you know i got really into to running and, and sport at school like like many of us um and then gradually my running just got you know longer i've, I've always really enjoyed cross country so i like i like trail running and a few years ago a, a colleague and i i work as a teacher and decided to run the ridgeway so we did the, the 100k ridgeway run and at that point, I thought, wow, you know, ultra running, this is this is something else. Um, so, 
yeah, I think things have kind of gone gone from there. And it wasn't long after that that uh, we set upon um, the MDS as a challenge. So we, you know, I quite like the ambitious challenges. And um, yeah, so I've, I've just been pushing towards that for a couple of years. So let's let's explain MDS Marathon de Sable for those who are not in the know, which for most non-endurance uh, or ultra endurance runners will be kind of pretty much everyone there. Yeah. Tell, tell us what it is. What does it consist of? Well, I mean, the, the reason why it's so kind of attract, attractive and exciting, I always think of it like the kind of um, it's like the Everest for 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 runners. Um, it, you know, a lot of people do actually know know about it, although they won't know. The detail necessarily um but it's it's obviously in the most extraordinary location it's in the sahara desert in the south of morocco on the border with algeria um, it's a very very long way uh, it's 250 kilometers um and that's broken down into to six stages but actually uh one thing that one of the things i would argue is not the distance is not the the most the biggest complication because they break it down i think the biggest complication is your kit and your ability to be self-sufficient because you have to carry everything you know and you have to carry all of your food you have to carry every bit of creature comfort that you would want over seven days uh they do give you water which is very generous of them uh they do that every at every checkpoint um so you know maximum of of a liter and a half you could have three liters on you but I never, I never really needed to carry that much. So yeah, that's what makes it really hard is you carry your own kit, um, and it's yeah, it's very, very well known. It's a, it's a massive international field. There's, um, there were a thousand runners, although there were quite a few that didn't get there this year because they failed their PCR test, because it was just when COVID was was really running amok, um, certainly in this country. Um, so so yeah. Uh, but runners from everywhere, you know, Southeast Asia. We had them from from you know all over Europe. There's a huge UK contingent. I think there were about 400, 450 uh, of the thousand were from this country, and then a lot of French. It's a French. It's a French organisation. They're absolutely mad for it. Uh, quite a lot of Americans as well. Um, so I mean, I think that's what's really exciting is you bring all these these athletes from all over the world together, um, and I think I took it on because I'd heard a lot about it. People, you know, write a lot about it, talk a lot about it. There's, there was the James Cracknell documentary uh, and others of its kind. And I thought, yeah, why not? Let's have a go. And it's it's very welcoming. You don't have to qualify. You know, unlike some of your, your big kind of European ultras, you can if you've got the money. You don't have to prove that you've done a great deal of running before. Um, the cutoffs are very generous. So... A lot of people actually power walk it. Um, so I think in that, and, and it's incredibly well supported. I mean, there's there's two helicopters going up and down the route all day, um, you know, and a whole army of kind of dune buggies and and, and Land Rovers, you know, it's just huge. Um, so so I think in that, in that way, it's very appealing. You know, if you can afford it, if you're fit enough, if you're strong enough, um, you can do it. And I believe... There's a slight, I mean, you, you obviously say it's an aspiration of yours, but there was a, a bit of a, a lure in by your father. Your, was it father that, in that's who, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, I like to say to, to my friends and family that I'm a, I'm a sponsored athlete, which is, is a joke because uh, we, it was one Christmas, my father-in-law was looking at something on the internet, some bio of someone, and it, and it said that he'd done the Marathon de Sable. 
And I said, now that's cool, you know, that's really impressive. And he said, um, well, what is it? And I told him what it is. And he said, well, would you like to do it? And I said, yeah, I'd love to do it, but I can't afford it. It's £5,000 to enter. And he said, uh, well, I'll pay. And um, he'd had a couple of glasses of wine, so I didn't, I didn't necessarily believe him. So the next morning I wrote to him and said, um, you know, registration opens tomorrow. What do you reckon? And uh, he did. So, so he, he paid my entrance. So, so yeah, the joke is I'm a, I'm a sponsored athlete. But, you know, it is expensive. You, not only there's the entrance, but everything on top of that, um, you know, it all adds up. So, Trevor, how many endurance athlete starting points have you ever heard starting with a few drinks over something <laughs> and then a, a bit of a challenge? Well, to be quite honest, first of all, I would say, Simon, considering your finished position, you can consider yourself a sponsored athlete. That was impressive. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll take that. I mean, there were quite a few. I think the top, I mean, it's hard to say, but the top 20, 25, uh, where lots of them were in teams, lots of them were, you know, had all the sponsored kit and so on. So there were some pretty, I mean, pretty my, hardcore guys. My sort of story of entry into ultra distance running, I was always a, a runner, mainly to keep fit because I, I raced other sports if needed endurance fitness and so forth um, so the running was was just a cross training for the sports i was doing um, and then one day same thing sitting around a pub having a few drinks and um, my stepfather made comment about the comrade marathon and mr big brave bear here goes oh yeah i could do that and well the challenge was on so mm. not to lose face or anything amongst anyone i, I committed started training and um, well i haven't turned back <laughs> to be quite honest yeah so, so Trevor, you've obviously got a lot of experience yourself in, in racing, um, and Simon sort of came going to try and train harder, saying I wanted to do this um, this thing, and as he said, he did, he did, a, did a bit of ultra stuff before, but I mean, this is this is a different beast, um, I guess. I mean, the, there is one thing where you, you're doing the Ridgeway Challenge, but you're never that far away from help if anything yeah. really needed. Whereas suddenly MDS, you are quite literally in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and so how, how do you take, uh, Trevor, someone um, sort of with, with that level of experience and then prepare them for something like a, an MDS challenge uh, from a coaching perspective? That's, I, I like that question. Um, the reason why I like that question is, of course, I've never experienced what Simon's just experienced. Um, you know, if I ever do experience it, I'd be very fortunate. But um, so my ultra distance running has always been a one day event. So to be in the middle of nowhere and have to do multi-stage events, um, I, I didn't really know. So it was a lot of think it through, think logically, use intuition. What is it going to look like? What might it feel like? So between Simon and I, and to be quite honest, Simon did a lot of research on all of this. Um, so as opposed to me just directing Simon as a coach, it was more collaboration. And yeah. um, both of our pieces of reading and research and information came together yeah. And, and we got quite specific about what challenges we might face. So in, in that, I, um, I tried to design some, some things that were quite challenging, so double run days um, or you know, running when he was putting himself in difficult, you know, difficulty. Now, we couldn't really um, create the desert scenario, um, but we did use shingles on the beach. We did use various other things that would, would make underfoot quite, um, quite a challenge. Well, mud, mud there's a lot of mud. Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot of mud. Um, but the, what, what I felt was very useful was not so much trying to create this specific environment someone would be racing in, but to create an environment with, which would put someone under mental pressure to be able to deal with it. So, so I mean, the running he was always going to do. 
you're certainly fit enough, strong enough, clever enough to run, but it was the mental challenges. Yeah. So we just tried to create a lot of mental blocks, basically, that might undo all of it. Mm. And, and Simon stepped up to the plate and, um, you know, approached it in the right way. And, well, the result speaks for itself. Yeah. I, I think that's right. I, I, uh, I felt that what the training really gave me was a really, really good base. And I felt very, very, I felt, I mean, I actually had my best run on the long day. And I had it in the back end of the long day um, when I seemed to get stronger, not necessarily stronger, but I, I was, I suppose, executing. And and a lot of the people that I was racing were not. Uh, and I think I give that credit to a lot of that hard stuff that we did, um, particularly the back-to-back -back running. And I remember some stuff, because it was in the depths of winter, that's the really difficult thing for the, for the European athletes uh, and UK is you're training in winter to go out to something that's very very hot um and so you to get that kind of mileage in as we all know you've got to do it at some pretty weird times so i definitely remember some you know late night uh, late you know running almost at half marathon late one night and then getting up early and going again in the morning when it was just the last thing you wanted to do and i think that that sort of mentally really 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 helped that i was actually quite okay with the just get up and run you know and also the rest you know giving yourself knowing that, well, I'll push this really, really hard because the quicker I go, the more rest I get. Um, so that's particularly in the long day. You do, you do um, I mean, if I, you, you got, the long day is the fourth day and that they all say, oh, that's, that's when it really starts. Um, so I think you do, I think day one is about 34K, day two is about 39, 38, 39, day three is 35, 36, and then it's a double marathon. Um, but actually at no point in that process was I, was I really thinking about the next day. I was just thinking about, and that's one thing Trevor and I definitely talked about, you take it bit by bit. Um, so, you know, I was pushing each day knowing that, well, when I get back, I've got a plan to rest, I get my feet, you know, put my feet up and have my food. And, and then you wake up the next morning and you're just thinking about that race in front of you. I think if you think about the whole thing, um, then it can get on top of you mentally. Um, but yeah, definitely the, the 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 amount of you know the depth to the training in in the winter I felt put me in really in a really good place because I, I had a few niggles along the way. Uh, I often seem to be you know either worried about a niggle or overthinking one, and and I you know it's that difference as we talk about the difference between a niggle and an injury, and I definitely had to back off in in the last three weeks much more than I I wanted to, but what what came to fruition was all the stuff around in christmas and you know going months back was all there so so the sort of the base fitness was was really really strong so that when i called on it it was it, it was there i know you initially came to to try training harder with uh, a few niggles and yeah. through through our physio sharon yeah. um who sort of recommended uh, you be in touch yeah i wonder how um your experience through the training cycles, the injury management, um, how that's evolved or changed over the past few years um, since working with, in that environment where you have that structure from a coach and you have the input from a physio? Um, well, I mean, Sharon's been been absolutely amazing. I, I've seen Sharon for over the last two years, what, once every three weeks or so. Um, and I think Sharon was very good at putting things in perspective. 
and putting it putting a needle in perspective uh, and she she knew when it was something that we had to be serious about and she was it was just getting that guidance of when I could train through it and when when I had to back off so I got a stress reaction in my in my foot and this must have been I don't know Trevor was it a year ago yeah and, and that one was a kind of okay stop <laughs> you know because <laughs> that could turn into a to a stress fracture and it was just I think uh, it was something to do with like poor form or the you know the gait was slightly wrong and I had shoes that were slightly too wide so but that one was very clear don't run you know that needs to heal um whereas there were other injuries you know issues with my hips that actually I could push through um it's been a couple of MRI scans along the way it's always good to know what's going on inside um but I think it's the, the peace of mind to have the security of, of to work with you know work with and, and Sharon would speak to Trevor Trevor would speak to Sharon and I know that sometimes there was some discourse there as to you know Trevor was very aware of what he had to get me to and then Sharon was very clear no no he can only do so much so so I felt very uh you know very well guided and looked after and I, I work a a pretty hefty job or it's certainly got hefty hours to it and just to have that peace of mind of going okay they're they're dealing with it they'll tell me what to do and then i just got to follow the plan that was that was really good if you were to to look back at yourself um sort of i guess three or four years ago you're going towards the ridgeway challenge and uh, and there'll be many other people who say i'm going to sign up and do my first ultra distance race we all know an ultra is anything yeah. which is over 42.2 and i can claim i've done an ultra although i'm not too sure that was a more by uh, by accident, I think, uh, than design, because I went, I got lost in a long marathon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it ended up being an ultra, so I'll call it an ultra. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, it, it was a trail one. It wasn't kind of a road one, because that would be embarrassing if I got yes. to the London Marathon or something. <laughs> uh, that would um, be a first, I think, Philip. <laughs> that, <laughs> there's even a blue line, just follow the blue line. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I think if you were to look back at yourself, and there are plenty of other people in that similar position to you, What's going to have been the real learning takeaways or things that you yeah. would sort of encourage others to sort of listen to or yeah. to be aware of in that sort of injury sphere or, or yeah. even just what to think about niggles versus injuries? Um, well, in terms of niggles versus injuries, I think, you know, get some advice. I think that's, that's always good. And, don't, you know, as we know, don't, don't, over, don't, don't over Google it uh, because, you know, that's a, that's a pathway to, to, you know, complicating matters. So I think, I think definitely, you know, take some advice, uh, particularly from from someone that you have a relationship with and someone whose opinion that you really trust, such as in my case, Trevor and, and, and Sharon. In terms of the difference between me running now and, and, and what into four years ago, I think it was the the variety in the training. And um, I never even understood what a recovery run was, but I'm I'm all for them now. <laughs> And I think that's something that, that Trevor really kind of guided me with is that notion of, you know, no, you're going to go again tomorrow, but it's going to be a completely different kind of run. And we're doing it so that the body can recover. I think, you know, previously I always thought recovery just stop. Um, so there was a lot of kind of learning along the way. And also I, I found the strength work really valuable. I did quite a lot of strength. I mean, my legs actually look completely different to where they did sort of three or four years ago. And I think, I think particularly for the MDS, I, I think that was really useful because the terrain is is so sapping. But, you know, we've all had the experience of, of running or walking through sand, but doing that for long, long periods of time. Uh, and um, I think that, you know, strength work and, and, and core strength and to sort of dovetail 
your fitness with that was was crucial. And Trevor, how do you manage that scenario? I mean, you've got this athlete, you know where they want to go, you know what they need to be able to to do. Your your heart's in it as well for them. You want to see the best for for the athlete, and you know they have a niggle, or you're having the conversation with a the physio, they're like they need to slow down. And how, how do you how do you take that information and then adapt a training plan, and then how do you keep the motivation? And also, I guess, that eagerness of an athlete to say, it's okay, it's fine, yeah. be patient, no, it will be okay, we still have... How, do, how did you manage that, especially in, in this instance with Simon? Um, just kind of going back a little bit to Simon's comment about Sharon's um, involvement and input and direction with regards to the injury. For me, like you said, like Simon said, it was really difficult because I knew the kind of loading Simon needed to, to be um, taking on each from week to week with regards progression and training and, and improving but at the same time had we just clearly followed that with the injury we would have just ended up being more broken um so mm. at, at one point it was pretty much what i said some pretty much i said let's forget all of that and let's just think about the best thing to do to get you strong and we pulled back we had we had a number of days off, so instead of, yeah. you know, we would run for a couple of days and then have a block of days off rather than just one day off. So we really tried to think outside of the box based on what he was going to do. So my approach was simply sustainable um, level of endurance that there certainly was going to be a lower pace than, say, if someone was racing a standard marathon alone yeah. or a half marathon alone. It needed to be sustainable, which was, in a sense, was good. I took the call to say well let's forget about what the numbers are telling us let's just get Simon repetitively running yeah. um, so he gets more comfortable with slower um, pace runs so um, you know quite well below threshold um, which, yeah you know in fact lower than threshold that I would have liked to have pushed him at but in doing so I think we, we it probably worked out very well um, almost just by default um, because as I say, I've no experience on, on racing that race and I didn't really know what mm. I was going to get. But I was more concerned about protecting the injury rather than just getting Simon as fast as he could be. The one comment I made to Simon is it's better to be slightly undertrained than 1% overtrained because you're unlikely then to finish. Um, and once once we kind of, and, and I think we almost both said the similar thing at the same time. We were both thinking down that line. And I think the result speaks for itself that it was the right call at the time. Yeah. Um, so I kind of looked at the whole uh, overall training idea from week to week and just said, forget the numbers for a while, let's get Simon strong. And, yeah. and that's the way we went. And a lot of that was also based on Simon's comment about Sharon speaking to me, me speaking to Sharon. I wanted to push him. I knew I wanted to push him. I know what it takes. Mm. Um, and then Sharon was going, don't do it. <laughs> I'm going, yeah. okay, Sharon. <laughs> you know, apart from the fact that I like you, I also respect your professional yeah. opinion so i'll listen to you and um, and that's where we sat with it um, you know and, and it, it's it was good to see that professional team around simon yeah you know paul as well and so forth and and also simon's willingness to want to take those people's advice and get them on board for him to achieve what he achieved um i think there's far too many athletes that almost try and go alone and they don't see the value in bringing all those people that can just direct um mm. You know, mm. for that specific need, whether it be an injury or strength and conditioning and so forth. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's sound, the way I approached it. it. It does. It does sound like a really perfect environment where you have, obviously, Sharon, the physio, and yourself, Trevor, 
engaging and discussing, but both coming actually from very different positions. So you are, you know, one's potentially more cautious and one's mm. think looking at the load side of thing. Simon, you've taken a very uh, sort of involved and collaborative approach with with what you need to get around and do. I mean, ultimately, you're the person who's going to be sat in a desert running yeah. around yeah. <laughs> in the sand dunes, not Sharon, not Trevor, and, mm. and being able to collaboratively work out what that best plan is for uh, for you, um, but taking on board all those bits of advice, but also just getting on and doing it. You know, I think, mm. and I'm listening to, to what you're saying, and um, I guess, Trevor, there's probably a lesson which we could pass on to, to you know, athletes. You, know, you want them to be involved. The more involved you are, the better it's going to be in, in terms of that working relationship. Mm. But at the same time, you, know, you, you do need to listen. And uh, it sounds like you were kind of fantastic at doing all those those aspects of it which is a, which is a pleasure to see yeah good yeah i also it sounds like uh, from what trevor's saying that you know you did do particularly well in this race but it sounds like you could could go faster in the future with all that. <laughs> next year <laughs> well i i mean yeah there's there's something in that i mean look you know desert racing is there's an art to it and we had to i was with a good friend of mine, we were sort of in a tent together and, and he was racing as well. And yeah, you don't get it straight up. You sort of, there's, you, you're watching the way the other guys are moving through the desert. You're like, it's a bit like snow, sand. You don't, you know, you want to run on the stuff that's, that's unbroken. You get better purchase on it. Um, you know, learning when, or learning to read your body so you know when you can push and when you've got to back off. Um, is a real art knowing when your body you know is craving salt or when it's just you know what it what it wants and I don't know I think it was about three days in before I kind of got got the hang of it I suppose um, so yeah that makes you want to go back because you think uh, well hang on if I start like that I could do better and on the first day I definitely took it pretty easy because I thought well this is completely new to me I just want to see how I go. I don't want to blow up. I stay one. Um, you know, let's just let's just sort of a little bit of cruise control. Although, although I immediately broke my heart. I had a bit of a plan with heart rate. I just thought I could kind of keep it down at about you know one forty, one fifty. I don't run with power. I haven't got that kit. Um, so so I thought that would be a rough guide of how hard I'm working. There was very very strong winds. Uh, this week, in fact, we had a day and a half of sandstorms, which made it really, really, really tough. Um, and a lot of it were running into it. And so on, on day one, I was like, well, I've completely broken my rules here. I'm going way above. But I wasn't I didn't seem to be working that hard. So. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, to answer the question, I, I you learn a lot about different styles of, of running and different styles of racing. And um, I'd love to go back and go quicker. Yeah. So talk talk us through the sort of race strategies, the tactics, the equipment yeah. choices. You mentioned equipment is a really big part of it. Um, that yeah. you, you did have to employ then through through the event. Um, well, it's it is described as a as a self sufficiency race, and it, it, you know I think part of the the uh, you know people that do well at it have the ability to sort this stuff out. Um, in the morning before each race day, we in the tent we would say right, you know two hours of faffing here we go and you just got you've just got to sort your stuff out and it's why quite a lot of military personnel enjoy it because you've got to know where everything is everything's got to be in the right pocket you know just like for any race you just you need to you know make decisions quite quickly uh but obviously it's all about weight the lighter you can get your pack the faster you can move the lighter you can get your body uh you know in the run-up you don't want to be carrying too much because you're heavier in the sand as well 
um, the starting weight for a pack minimum is 6.5 kilos and I wanted to get it as, as light as I could. Uh, that had an impact on nutrition because the heaviest part of your what goes in the bag is your food. Um, and you know, there's a, there was a lot of trial and error in that in terms of what I liked, which gels, what you know, whether I was going to you know, warm water to cook food or whether I was going to go dry. I did go dry in the end, so I was just using essentially nuts, beef jerky, and recovery powder. That was my lovely evening meal. Um, and and you know, you you are obsessing over getting the kit down and, and what you need. And, you know, originally I thought, well, I'll take two shirts because that would be nice to change my shirt. And then I thought, no. That's unnecessary weight. I'll take one shirt and I'll be in that, sleep in it and run in it for seven days. And, and you know, it's just it's decisions like that. Everything is quantified. Um, you know, I didn't want to take a phone. It was too heavy. A lot of people take phones because you can, you know, take photos and film. So I didn't take that, but I found an MP3 player for, which weighed 32 grams. That was seen as a great, you know, success. So it's stuff like that. And, and I think that, I mean, I got my weight to 7.2 kilos dry, so that's before the water, um, and that was a that was a result, and I, and I think that that allowed me to move that much more quickly. And of course, it gets it gets lighter as you eat your food during the week. So so I think technically that's almost the hardest bit for me is is knowing what you need, knowing what you're going to need five days in, you know, how many pairs of socks and and so on. And how close do you reckon you got to getting that right? I know you mentioned earlier you can you, know, you, you can learn, you can do things better next time round. But I mean, as your first stab in the dark, quite literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, how, how do you feel it did? I I was pretty happy with all of it. I mean, I was very hungry, <laughs> and I was you know hungry throughout. Um, but I think you just accept that. Uh, I think on the last day. Which is a full, which is an exact marathon. Um, that's on day seven. Um, I was a bit sick that morning, and and I think I was I was calling on energy that I just didn't have, and and I think that was that was down to you know not enough not enough nutrition in me. But it's a compromise you make because you want to get the pack light. Um, so I think I think I probably need a little bit more food. But, but what food that is, and you know whether it's evening, on the go, or in the morning, um, I would need to kind of look at that. Um, so I think, I'm, I think I made an error there, uh, or a minor one. Um, otherwise, I was pretty happy. My shoes held up really well. They were the right, I mean, it's a big call on, on whether you, my feet held up really well. There are two reasons why people don't complete. Uh, dehydration and actually we were quite lucky this year because it was a little bit cooler uh, and feet um, because you you get you take the wrong trainer you take one that's slightly too big if you get if there's too much friction in the shoe and you add you know sand into the mix and heat into the mix it's the it's a perfect alchemy to absolutely ruin your feet um, and my feet did really well I had you know, two small blisters on each on each uh, foot um, so that was a success but there was a lot that went into that I was putting my feet in surgical spirit every night for six months, seeing podiatrists, getting the nails absolutely right, um, you know, that sort of thing. So, and I, I really obsessed over a trial and error, getting the right sock 
the right shoe because your in theory your feet can can expand in the heat so you need to have a little bit of give there so most people just get the same shoe that they run in but in wide seems seem to work out so so i was very happy i mean in comparison to my tent mates my feet came out of it pretty well and in comparison to other runners i mean there were some people who i just don't know how they how they put their, their feet in their shoes each morning it's yeah some extraordinary scenes when it comes to people's feet <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's probably not something to go and uh, Google too too quickly. No, don't, in, in, no, don't. I, yeah, I mean the reality is people are thinking about doing it um, with a with the right preparation, and it's the preparation that's that's correct for your feet. I think that's the thing. The people that there was a you know a little moment. There's a there's a place called Doc Trotters, which is the medical tent that everybody goes to at the well, unless you're sorting out your feet yourself. Most people go to it at the end of each day. And it's like you know, triage for your feet. You take a number, you wait, you clean your feet with iodine, and then you go into this big tent, you put your feet in the air, and then people have a look at what's, what's wrong with them. And the guy beside, I mean, I went in there just to get out of the sandstorm more than anything. My feet probably didn't need attending to. And the, there was a guy beside me who said to, to, the, to the medic looking at his feet, and his feet were in a bad way. And uh, he said, well, I, I, I'm using these Ingenie socks, you know, the toe socks. And she said, oh, great, you know, uh, and uh, how long have you been using these for? He said, well, I tried them for the first time last week. <laughs> and then there was a pause and he said, it's probably the reason why my feet are in such a bad way. So, I mean, that's, you know, you've got to practice with everything before you get out. Um, so, yeah, you know, be careful of all the advice on the Internet about what's best for the NDS because everyone's different. I think um, the message which both yourself and Trevor have, have given really clearly in this is that, yes, there's the, the physical feat of running the distances that you have to in this ultra, but actually that doesn't really matter if you haven't got your planning and preparation right. Yeah. That, that takes over way more almost. Yeah. And as you get longer, even more so. Yeah, because, um, you know, you're having to make decisions when when you're a bit out of it and you're, you know, very, very tired. And, and um, so, yeah, ultimately, you kind of want to go on to automatic. I mean, that's what good training is, isn't it? Well, the, the one thing that um, that did happen, which Simon can elaborate on, is um, we got Simon out using poles in his training. Oh, yeah. um, and that was even during mud, you know, money sessions. Yeah. Like, but simply to have the poles in his hands, be using them and, you know, to get his running gait and everything used to using poles. Um, it turned out, Simon, and you can carry on from here, that you didn't eventually use the poles. Do you want yeah. to expand on that a bit? Well, I mean, it was, it, they just didn't, it didn't feel quite right. And I mean, much as I loved using them to go uphill, I didn't really use them on the downhills much. And, and they're, you know, they add weight. And I, I mentioned before how everything is quantified as to how much it weighs. So they add a bit of weight, and also they're they're in your hands. And it's ridiculous that, as that might sound, but you know, I, I needed my hands. I needed my hands to, you know, put my hydration into my into my front bottles to you know find my snacks to whatever it might be. You know, you have to produce your water card at every checkpoint, and so on. So I just thought they were going to complicate matters, and I think one of the best bits of advice I was given for this was just keep it simple like whatever your plan is keep it really really simple and and poles yeah maybe it would have made me a bit quicker on the hills but I think that the, the negative sort of outweighed that that they would have gone in the way how um, you talked about the strategy in um, terms of your heart rate earlier yeah. on um you know what what was your 
what were you thinking when you arrived? What, you know, what was, what was what your you general? Think, yeah. What were you thinking? What, yeah. was, what was the general plan? I might actually, Trevor, what, what was the race strategy from, from your guys' perspective? And then I'll, I'll swing it back yeah. to Simon and ask, you know, well, well what deviated? What happened? Um, so, yeah, what, how, how did the strategy and plan go for the event? So from, from our point of view, because Simon went through quite a few sort of derailments along the way, along the journey, I mean, first of all, there was a postponement of the whole year. Um, then there was COVID, then there was injury, um, various other things that kind of derailed Simon's progress to his training. However, because we had the luxury of, of time with regards to two years, we very quickly got it back. But in saying that, there wasn't the opportunity really to extend the training to include all the speed work and really mm. get the fine details down to, you know, taking every second possible and, um, to be quite honest, I think the, the return on that effort would have been minimal. I think Simon's mm. achievements and, and the outcome um, is certainly right up where he potentially was going to be, maybe a bit less. But the effort to get him to go faster would have would have meant a lot more focused training on speed work for the distance mm. and, and so on. Um, so the, the thinking was more to bring it back to sustainable effort that could be carried all the way through. Now, Simon mentioned on the last day, he, he started feeling the fatigue, started, you know, felt a bit ill in the morning, um, and the comment about nutrition and so forth kind of starts linking into why that might have been. Um, so our strategy and all the discussions based on the injury, based on the setbacks, based on the time off because of his foot and so on, was let's get it sustainable. Let's forget about mm. all the speed work. Let's not worry about that. Because Simon, at one point, you were running with a friend of yours who was simply a quicker runner than you. A bit quicker, yeah. And quite frequently after those runs, there were com you know, comments about injuries sore, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. not working quite well. So we kind of identified that maybe we should stay away from the speed work, um, in particular for this event. Obviously, you know, if you're going to do something else that's not quite as extreme as MBS, then mm. maybe speed work would be a, a very key yeah. element um, just to push that, that goal again, that, that finish time just to push it a bit higher and so mm. forth. But um, certainly the strategy came down to sustainable. That was, yeah. that was it. Um, and I, I think that's, I mean, that's what the race is, actually. You know, it's the ability to, to sustain. I mean, if you look at the average moving paces, they're really slow. You know, there's a lot of walking in there. Um, from everyone, because you you know you try running up the sand, you you don't you don't get much out of that effort you know, in terms of pace. You run down the other side, of course. Um, so so I think because of that, there were there were sections. I mean, the last day was quite flat, and actually that was a, that was a, a run run, you know, as as, as best you can. Um, in terms of strategy, I, I mentioned that on day one. I was very much just let's see what it's like. Let's see how hot it is. Let's see what my efforts like. Let's not let's not push too hard, you know. If this is a, and, and so on. I basically came in that day feeling pretty good, and my feet were in good shape, and I I felt strong, and I came seventieth. Um, and I and that was the moment I thought, well, hang about. Uh, I think I can. I think I can do. You know, I think I can go a lot faster than that. And so the next day, the next day was actually. My, my two best days were the hardest days, weirdly. So as in the sandstorm was day two and then day four was the, was the double day. Um, and actually, because of the conditions and the distance, there were lots of sections there where people were, were you know, were unable to sort of push. And I just stayed pretty steady. 
in terms of my pacing and effort. I kept sustainable, my, one might say. Sustainable, yes, indeed. I kept, uh, I think I was, I think my heart rate was, you know, 160, just on, under 160, which is slightly higher than I wanted to be. Um, but, you know, and then obviously when you're going up stuff, it goes right up. Um, but there were sections, but they you, they send you over, they call them jebels, which are, you know, mountains, the stuff you've got to pull yourself up on ropes. At the end, in day two, there's a really long flat, sec, flat section into the wind, you know, about 30k of it. And I kind of just got into a good place and held my pacing and, and just, you know, wasn't necessarily looking to, to overtake and then um, got to the jebel. And uh, I thought, oh, great, I can, I can slow down now. <laughs> it's, a really, it's a really big hill. Uh, but I put, you know, it was just power walking and, and I did quite well on that. And all these runners, like these fast runners, um, were really struggling because they hadn't, I presume they hadn't done a lot of training to walk and you have to with the MDS, you've got to be, the runners have got to be prepared to walk, which I think is probably where things, things can go wrong. So, so I haven't necessarily answered your question about strategy other than it went better than expected. And, and I got, I got better at knowing when to push. But just on the strategy, because what Simon's just said about needing to walk a lot, and both Simon and I had um, you know, done our research and seen that that was you know, one sort of common theme that a lot of these repeated sort of, uh, competitors had done. They all said, you've got to be prepared to walk. So within the training, we had a yeah. lot of days of walking. Yeah, we did, yeah. Um, yeah. And on some of the double days or even triple days, it would be run, walk, run, tough days. Yeah. We, we did a lot around walking and getting walking in. Which was really frustrating. Like, I really didn't enjoy doing that. And there were, there were sort of some recovery sessions which were down to sort of, you know, three minutes run, two minutes walk, three minutes. And it was that sort of thing. And I, and I was having to walk when I really didn't want to. But I think that paid dividends, actually. Interesting. <laughs> well, we did we did try and get quite specific as to yeah. what someone was going to be faced with, and we tried all sorts of things. And you know, I know three minutes, you know, running and two minutes of walking or whatever we we ended up doing sounds a bit bizarre. But how do you know that's not going to present itself in the desert? Yeah, you, know, you don't know is. what the, the underfoot terrain is going to be like. Yeah. And it forces. Yeah, well, it did actually. It, it really did. So, so in the in the middle of the. So the other thing I talked about how you improve the long stage, I got much better at you know, really studying the map before you go, because you need to know when, when to run, when is your long section to run and when you just won't be able to. And so I actually, someone had a Sharpie pen. So I started writing it on, my, on the inside of my arm, you know, so you write where the checkpoint, you know, how long till the checkpoint and, you, and the sections that are good sections and the sections that are hard sections. And after about 60k on the long stage, it sent you into, they weren't quite sand dunes, but it was just really soft, undulating sand, the sort of stuff you walk over to get to the beach. Oh my God, that was, that was you know, a lot of run walk, but happening very quickly. There were bits that you could run, there were bits that you just couldn't. And so that sort of frustrating training um, was, was perfect for that. I think there's a saying in training, which is when you start doing the stuff you don't like doing is when you start actually improving. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, but I can totally see how that, as you say, that run, walk, kind of breaking the rhythm, and you want to go running. It it's really, really powerful. Mm. Or well, we we even had sessions where I'd get someone to run and then stop and stand still. Yeah, that's right. For X amount right. of time, and then run again and see how yeah. what the effort took to get back to pace and get comfortable with that pace again and so forth. Yeah. Because you know all of those scenarios were going to present themselves. So we 
I just kind of thought about every possible scenario and said, right, how do I throw this into the training mix? And so that's how, what I did. how important then was the psychological preparation going into this? Because it, it sounds like Trevor was just basically playing mind games. I think very, very important. I, I, I think this is, you know, there's certain about, those that do well in it, I think there has to be a bit of stubbornness, you know, in terms of, you know, mentally, um, just that relentlessness that, you know, I will keep going. I mean, I didn't really, I was, I was frightened at points, but I was only really frightened of not completing uh, because of course something can go wrong at all points, you know, because of the terrain, it's pretty extreme. It would be very, very easy to roll an ankle or, you know if you just switch off for a moment so so right up until the end i was i was frightened of it of it not coming off um i got very frightened when they put when i got into the top 50 because you they keep them on the double day the long day they hold you back by two hours so or i think or well it was the heat it was the midday when we started so the rest of the field start at 9 30 or something like that so 950 runners go past they break camp, they take the whole camp down, they leave five tents, and in those tents are the top 50. And some of these guys are, you know, yeah, machines, they really are. I mean, the, the Moroccans, the top three, are, are just, just a completely different level to, to everyone else. And so you're, you're in amongst these guys. And, and um, that was very frightening. That was really, really frightening. Um, so I think, I think something in terms of the, the training yourself to be... Um, okay with fear is quite useful um, I don't have a specific suggestion as to how you do that but becoming comfortable with the notion that you know that it's it's okay to be scared so I've got about I think, three kind of I guess areas I wanted to cover uh, before we get into quick fire ones the first one I think should be quite a quick one but what was the most not normal experience in the event build up or during the race that actually became really normal for you i mean it sounds like something like doing foot baths with a uh, white yeah. spirit yeah, uh, yeah but yeah that sort of thing what's the sort of the not normal experiences that are just well that's what i do now because that's that's what i need to do i think i think for me it was the it was the, the back-to-back running I, th- I mentioned earlier in terms of the way the variety in training that was the big difference for me is that knowing that you know i've done a big run one day or you know two days on the trot and then i'm going to do I'm going to do a recovery run the day after. I think that that was a mentally that changed things in terms of you know just after a massive load of effort, you can't get up and go again. And that 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 had a huge effect on on me out there mentally. Going right, reset tomorrow. We go again. Interesting. And as a as a teacher, um, as you mentioned a couple of times, you know how do you find that your race or your experience with the race has impacted the pupils of the people, the children that you work with? Uh, I mean, do, do they even care? Oh, yeah, they I do. Yeah, but, they, um, they, but, you they, know, how did, it, how did it impact them and how, how do they take things away? Um, they're very interested in it. Uh, and um, I've actually got support. I run a boarding house. I look after a whole load of other people's teenagers. And I've got a few in, in the house who, you know, they want to do it. So so I'd like to think it's in, it's inspired a few. I'd like to think, think it's inspired a few to kind of dream big, uh, but then to to prepare thoroughly for something. Uh, the school wants me to do a, a presentation, um, which I, I'm not quite sure in what format, but I think it's to the whole school, 
Uh, and of course, the great thing about this event is the pictures and the video footage all look absolutely amazing. So I think I think we'll use that to to inspire them. Um, there were actually sixteen year old kids out there uh, with their parents. So there was a whole French family that did it. Uh, there was a, a British man and his son that did it, and I think there was a French uh, man and his daughter that did it. So, you know, it is doable. School trip. A school trip. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure we could get that, get that past the risk assessment. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I think. Look, I'm also quite lucky that I work in a school because um, you know it's not like I've had to go back to working in a, in a shed in the garden i haven't got anyone to talk to about this you know i get asked about it all the time and as we know when you've you've achieved something or you've done an event it's really nice to kind of relive it so i'm going to do that most days that's that's really nice and uh, as you sit now hopefully recovered yeah, um, yeah 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 definitely yeah what are your thoughts of the race uh, as you reflect back on it and and the experience, I guess, itself, because it's not just a race, it's an experience, really. Um, and then what's that ignited inside of you now to go um, forward? I, th- I think, yeah, it is the most extraordinary experience, um, not least being in a desert. I've never been to a desert, and uh, it's, it's utterly stunning. And, yeah, right, I will never, ever forget running through the desert in, in the double day and the sun going down, and it was just beautiful. So I think, you know, aesthetically, it's it's something you'll take, you know, I will take with me forever. Um, you know, as discussed, I did probably better than expected, but yet I am very competitive and I, I feel like I could do better. So it's something that I'd, I'd like to go back and do uh, again one day. I'm not sure uh, Mrs. Roach she's keen for that to happen <laughs> just yet. Um, and in terms of what it's ignited, I think that I want to do more, you know, not necessarily on this scale, but I, I think that actually I have some ability at, at multi-stage. Um, I, I felt I was quite good at that in terms of the right, you know, as mentioned, tomorrow we go again. Um, so I'm already Googling away, trying to find uh, the next event. Uh, Trevor will be pleased to know because I know an event that's close to his heart is Comrades. And I'm eyeing that one up for 23 um if if i can get it past management at home um <laughs> uh, but i know if, if i if if that happens trevor I'll, you know we'll be we'll be working on that together i can, well, I can assure you i uh i will be looking forward to that because i i kind of know that road pretty yeah. much step by step <laughs> so. it's it, it's it, it's it's the uphill one apparently so i was actually quite lucky because two of the guys that we were in a tent with are um uh, they're, they're South Africans. They do the com- comrades every year, and one of them's got a place in Durban, so they were already talking about it. So the plan is afoot. Yeah. Well, I can tell like, you yeah, now. The next most dangerous thing, is, apart from a drink <laughs> session, is a uh, is a race uh, finishing line. I'm allowed to talk to them and say, "Oh, what are you doing now?" <laughs> <laughs> so, but whether it's the up or the down on the comrades, they're both it's just as much. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So um, th- there's no, you know, there's no one better than the other. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. The time, the time for the top boys might be faster on what they consider the down. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, the down hurts just as much as the up. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I prefer running up. Where you're going. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, but there are there are, you know plans already. So. Perfect. Well, I'm I'm going to ask you a few quick round questions. Um, I might um, jump in with Trevor and uh, see see if he has a reflection on what your quick round is. But these are just sort of one word sentence answers. Okay. Um, 
as best as we can do. But um, first off to kick off, what does the tagline which we have of believe, strive, achieve mean to you and how is it applied to your experiences? Um, it, you know, I, I think it's very appropriate. I think that there is always more in you. You just got to keep digging. What would you say, um, and obviously this is an interesting Scott Trevor across the screen, what would you say is a measure of good coaching? I guess all teaching. Uh, the relationship between uh, athlete and coach built, uh, you know, a relationship built on trust Trevor would you uh, contest or add to, to that at all? I would add by saying one of the key elements is to listen rather than speak um, and I think I did that with Simon I, li I listened to what he wanted I listened to what he said and, you know, and, and I think that gave us that relationship that gave us the result what, uh, what do you feel are key characteristics characteristics or values to take into your life or into your sport from from this experience or or just generally it can be or it can be generally i guess um well perseverance uh you know knowing yourself um, you know knowing your body knowing your mind um you know trust trusting the coach trusting yourself and then what is your favorite race or bucket list event? <laughs> now, I, 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 just, I just completed my bucket list, so I need another one. You need another bucket. Uh, I, need, I, need, I, need, I need another bucket. Uh, pass. I, unfortunately, all the events I'm looking at are very, very expensive. Um, you know, the, the, the multi-stages that compare to this are they're very expensive. So, so yeah, pass. A multi-stage oh. event in a beautiful location is what I'm after. That is, yeah, that's a lovely way. What's, um, I think I might know the answer because you might have already said this one. What's your best running or sporting memory? Uh, this is the Marathon de Sable. Yeah, is... Any point in particular? or Yeah, the, 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 the long stage, the, the sunset on the long stage. And actually, funny enough, that was the thing I had thought about before I got there. That was my sort of, that would be really cool. The sun setting in the desert. You're running. I mean, we still had 30k to go <laughs> so it sort of puts things in perspective but uh yeah you know the sun setting and whilst running so whilst everyone else is doing sundown is the sun setting you're suddenly going well you know that's that's past 5k there <laughs> were there were no sundowns although we did get up to the top of this rise and um i thought i could smell a barbecue i, like, I thought maybe i was sort of you know mildly hallucinating <laughs> and at the top of this this hill there was the whole load of I don't know, local moroccans or and they'd driven their motorbikes up to the top, a beautiful spot, and they were they were cooking up some food. So um, so yeah, there were some people having sundowns out there whilst we all yeah. you know came trudging past. Wow. <laughs> uh, what if you had to do one more race? Uh, maybe you don't have the answer to this one now, but if you if you could, money wasn't an object. If there's one more race, what would it be? Hmm. That's a good question. I think. Um, I quite like the look of that one in, there's a multi-stage one in, it's not at the Everest base camp, but it's around there. That looks pretty cool. The Everest one. Nice. Uh, yeah. Got the, the tagline for it. Yeah. Um, and then finally, if you could win the UTMB, Ultra Mont Blanc or an Olympic medal, which would it be? Uh, UTMB. UTMB. Because I, I want to run in beautiful places and that, it just looks amazing up there. Fantastic. Simon, thank you very much for sharing your experiences of the Marathon de Sable uh, on what you quoted as being a both beautiful and brutal event. Um, it certainly made me 
think about having a look at the event, um, <laughs> but uh, that that requires coming uh, out of retirement, doing a lot of exercise and training. Right, and one, but, uh, you yeah, can't exactly. be retirement. Trevor's just his eyes have lit up. No, oh, <laughs> um, one, one, you can always look. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's been an absolute pleasure to to hear your story, and I'm sure that Thank your you. uh, um, presentation to the school or your group around yeah. it will be amazing and you know i guess the one thing we can't see with podcasts is, is the images and the photos yeah. so uh unfortunately we can't see that but thank yeah. you very much for showing that one and trevor thank you very much for for joining in offering your inter- interesting perspective as a coach as well on the whole the whole period because i think it's uh it, it does offer an, an interesting both that relationship but also uh idea of what goes into so the preparation around this is not just sort of someone thinking oh this is a good idea i'll just go running uh, mm. you know, there was a lot of thoughts and oh, yeah. uh i guess discipline to, to hold yourself back and go ahead and do things as well and, and working together as a team you're doing a, I mean, a the, fantastic the, job personally the one takeaway i have um with this experience of working with simon on a multi-state event is although i run ultras i generally run one day ultras and um, and i have committed now to a multi-stage event uh-huh. so you know it's and the reason why i did that is is the inspiration i got from being immersed within this journey that simon's gone through um, I've learned so much and I said well I'm going to apply that to my own sport so mm. you know I think it's going to enrich me in the understanding of how to work with multi-stage um, athletes and so forth so um, yeah I'm going to take on one um, although it's not through the desert it's still multi-stage event and um, and see if that changes any of my perspectives or, or ideas or thinking that I've, I've, I've gained from this experience so I'm looking forward to that and uh, Hopefully, if Simon does do a multi-stage event again, and I've gained a bit more knowledge, well, hmm. if we can go up a few places, yeah, yeah, yeah insp- inspiring all the way through. Then, <laughs> <laughs> fantastic, gents. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure everyone else has enjoyed this too. Thank you. Thank you, Philip. This was a very good conversation with Simon and Trevor. Um, what were the key points you take out of this one? Hi, hi Diego. Fascinating, wasn't it? Um, really, really insightful just to see behind the scenes of what uh, an event like that uh, takes, um, what you have to do to prepare for it. I think there's some uh, <laughs> some interesting um, interesting takeaways from that. Loads of interesting takeaways from that. I think there's some things like, uh, well, I guess the main one for me is just how important that preparation is for an event like, um, like this. I mean, he had a very common sense through that inspiring approach and um you know, he was he was making sure no stone was un, unturned so you know, a lot of people talk about running as well you just put a pair of trainers on you run out the door don't you it's straightforward it's easy and i think it's fair to say that yes you do put a pair of trainers on when competing in the marathon de sable um but i don't think you were necessarily uh just walking out the door, I think there's a lot more which goes into it and uh, a lot more that needs to be thought about before doing that. I mean, if you think about it, just running through the door, he was putting his feet into white spirit to make them tougher and stronger so that there was less chance of a blister over six months before the start date. You know, these this is very much a prior planning and preparation experience to make your experience your life just easier when it comes to race day mm-hmm. i think that was a really really powerful message that just that one example uh for me but just how important preparation was for an event like this there is um, a saying that if you if you fail to prepare you are preparing to fail absolutely 
And Absolutely. I think this one applies totally on this one. Um, is that kind of event that you cannot afford any mistake on the preparation? No, you really, really can't. And I, and I, and he demonstrated that. Um, you know, he was thinking about all different angles. And then, I mean, look, the preparation was twofold. One part of it is the training, and then the other part of that is obviously the uh, the kind of the logistics, the the mm. organisation, kind of how heavy is your pack weight going to be. They, you actually think about that way in advance of going to to Morocco to start. You need to think about that and plan. You know, what you're taking with you, could you get anything which is lighter? Is there other options and everything else? You know, he talked about throwing away his second T-shirt, which would have been a luxury for him, but it was a luxury he wasn't prepared to have to deal with and carry with him. So, um, you know, I think it, it is it's just amazing how much preparation goes into into something like that. I just think that um, when, you, when you get to a point that you even think about not bringing your phone because of weight, it's, it's impressive. Um, you could yeah. do that. Your phone then could yeah, go, could you? <laughs> Just, <laughs> no, the thing is, you're going to the middle of the, in the middle of the desert. Of course, you have people there to help you out. But just thinking about, I'm not going to bring my phone because it's about 200 grams. And that's weight. That's something we cannot um, afford to bring. It's impressive. I, I was not aware of the the logistics and the preparation you need to have to, to do these kind of races. Um, you see a lot of people doing it. They are brave, for sure. Um, but when you think about signing up for something like this, you have to have all this in count. It's, it's impressive. And I think that even Trevor did an amazing job in trying to prepare the best way, um, the, the, everything for, for Simon, and giving him the best um, preparation and... Uh, conditions for him to, once he gets to Morocco, he's going to be ready for it. That was a very good uh, work uh, from Trevor. And uh, one of the things I, I, I think it was very good was, the, was the, um, the teamwork between Sharon, Trevor and Simon. Everyone was uh, working on the same page and I think that makes a, a huge, huge difference for the final result. Really do, yeah. That, that um, interaction and how they're all working together and I, I think it's really... Um, insightful that Simon took a very proactive role in that um, coach, athlete, and physio conversation. You know, he was he was looking out and looking up what was needing to be done, and that's two pairs of eyes looking. I know Trevor did a huge amount of research, and I think um, you know it's not straightforward to say, "Oh, well, this is a marathon Nassab the training plan." It's yes, you could put one, but everyone is different. The, the environment is so specific and and individual as well. So did a great job but having you know, Simon's looking into it and giving that feedback that communication channel really actively saying I found this this is hurting this isn't quite right and opening that dialogue with Trevor and then having that again with Sharon and, and all three of them coming together I think you know, it's, a, it's a winning combination in anything if you can get that sort of team um, you know working it's, it's definitely in that high performance and I think the other side of it as well is that um, you know Trevor really passionately cared for for Simon's success and having you know yes he was he wasn't the man in the arena uh, but he was there you know he, he wanted this to happen for him and he was fighting the corner he was sort of challenging uh, in a professional way you know were there other things that could be done um, and I think having that person objectively in your corner because you're not going to quite get so emotionally involved um, in, in it but being able to give that slight perspective and big picture um, was was really really useful, um, and I think you know that showed the power of coaching and, and that, that coach on your side. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, once again, Trevor has made an, an amazing uh, work with, with Simon. And it's great to see the way he talks about uh, all the year or even the, the years of preparation for this. Yeah. Because it made the, the difference at the end. And Simon can recognize that and even well, said at the end, um, for the next was, one, I'm going to count on you. Yeah, it was really interesting because he was talking about um, another thing which was a big takeaway for me was that uh, how some of those sessions which he really didn't like, you know, the ones where he had to walk, you know, run for a bit, walk for a bit, run for a bit, walk for a bit. And this was part of a big, big training Right, in a run, it wasn't sort of oh yeah, doing that as a back to run because I'm trying to get myself fit and everything again. It was part of this is your you know we're, we're training for marathon de sable, go and walk for a bit and then run for a bit and that time on feet but breaking the rhythm. It was exactly what the race was like. And Trevor had really gone into the research and sort of said, okay, well, what does this race look like? This is the fitness sort of thing. Okay, we need to be able to be fit enough to do this sort of time on our feet and everything. But then he also took it to another level. So well, what does that look like? And you know he was really looking into um, into those sort of things, and it was really interesting how you know, Trevor designed these sessions just to make sure it was very, very sort of specific to the race that was going on. And Simon didn't like them; he did them. <laughs> but, but it's one of the things we see quite often with athletes, isn't it, Diego? We see that the minute athletes begin to take on the sessions that they really dislike, or the sessions which they're like, nah, I'm not really too sure I like that style of session, but it's actually the really important one for them the minute they start seeing improvements. And I mean, what better way to have that than that sort of undulating terrain with sand dunes and steepness towards the end where he had to break his rhythm and run for a bit, walk for a bit, run for a bit, walk for a bit. And at kind of that moment in the middle of the Sahara Desert to sort of say, oh, thanks, Trevor. And be able to pull that out, I think is really, really powerful and a, and a real testament to the, uh, the planning, the preparation that went into not just the event, but also the training for the event as well. I think that was really cool. And I think, you know, that's opening the door for what could be possible for for Simon. You know, this is really exci- a really exciting point in time where so Simon's just done something. I think he's surpassed what he thought he could do. And uh, now he's sat there going, well, hang on a second. Well, what can I do? There's so many gaps to the training preparation. I, I can definitely get better. Uh, and that's that's quite, quite impressive. Yeah, and I'm excited to see what's, uh, what's next. Um, so we're going to be here waiting for Simon to... I know. <laughs> To find a new goal to do, and then the the work with Trevor, and for sure we're gonna try to be more uh, into the the subject of it and and to follow the um, the results of it. And I think the the last thing to say as well, which we didn't actually touch on in the conversation, but I know Simon wanted me to to mention, is you know um, he was also doing this for charity, so there was a, a kind of another um, aspect of his training uh, which he really tried to uh, bring in. So he was fundraising for homeless people in Oxfordshire. Uh, he's actually the housemaster at the school that he's working at. And you know, he's a, l- a large part of what he does there is taking these children who are boarding and, and he- helping them feel at home in a place which isn't their home, so kind of a home from home. Uh, I guess that might have made him, things quite easy for him in the desert to make a home from home in the middle of the desert. But you know, he, w- he was recognising that here he was doing that role in a school with, with children who, who he was able to look after, but there were people just down the road who were genuinely living out um, in uh, in the middle of the of the street. So you know, he he was doing it for a greater cause, and I think he's been fundraising. So if anyone has got a spare uh, moment to go check out his fundraising page, I know that will be at the bottom of the uh, uh, the, the description for this uh, this uh, podcast. Yeah, we're going to have all the information on the description, and if you want to follow more and to ask anything, just feel free to do it. Um, this was a very good one, Philip. Thank you so much for it. I learned quite a lot about it, and uh, I think. The key word for this is planning. 
That's yeah, definitely. The way. Yeah, planning. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to, for the next one. Brilliant. Diego, thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Believe Strive Achieve podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and show notes are found at trytrainingharder.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at trytrainingharder. Thanks for listening.